0: what's up everybody welcome to the pick six podcast oh but wait it's not just the pick six podcast today it's a pretty quick
1: <laughs>
0: me making uh me making rocket ready air horns uh is pretty cool on audio it's very cool on video
2: pew! can i uh tell uh, you a little backstory something i thought was hilarious that kind of it incorporates the sounds that you're making right now, like, right, like the lasers or whatever if you're at a club. And so Ryan Wilson will appreciate this. So I'm that on the University of Miami's campus and I go down to watch Miami, uh, practice before they have to play that week zero game against Florida. And, uh, they're still trying to figure out their quarterback situation. So I'm kind of watching the quarterbacks closely and it's Jeron Williams, Nicosi Perry and Tate Martell. And so. Um one of them throws a deep ball. I can't quite remember who it was, but they overthrow this wide receiver last name Pope. And he's fast. He's a blazer. Uh overthrew him though, didn't complete it. But like five seconds later, you start hearing those boom, 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 and they've like a DJ at practice because they're playing music and all this stuff. And these guys start dapping them up and they start like kind of giving him some love and everything. And I'm standing next to their Don Bailey, their the radio play-by-play guy, uh, and I'm like what What is this? He's like, oh. And then they start announcing he ran 20 miles per hour. So apparently because they're all about speed and they're all about like that sort of athleticism and all that, they announce whenever the guys on their GPS tracking system hit 20 or over, they like announced it and they put it up on the board and they act like they're in a club. And so even though they didn't complete the pass, they start playing and everyone's like dapping them up and giving the guy love. So just it cracked me up every time thinking about it. Like that's the state of Miami football right now.
0: Yeah, that's how bad it is. It's like, hey man, dude ran fast. Let's go nuts and celebrate. Miami, <inaudible> <inaudible> so um, Obviously that's Brady Quinn. I'm Will Brinson, Ryan Wilson on as he is, uh, every, basically like every show now at this point, Ryan. Um, but certainly, you know, you, you do the Brady Quinn football shows with us because Brady, uh, said he won't do, he won't do any more podcasts with just me. He won't do it. He's refusing Thank to. Thank you, me.
2: Brady. Um, I've, I've specifically and, uh, requested can, Ryan to kind of teeter out, you know, the, the balance <laughs> of power right here.
0: You can watch us, by the way, on YouTube, YouTube dot com slash CBS sports. Um, I think that we have a total of three shows, uh, but maybe two. Maybe we're going to get to like five eventually of pick six podcast shows that you can watch on YouTube Four total shows. OK, I'm an idiot. We'll probably get to like 12 at some point. Uh, we have eight. We have eight shows we release during the week. Now, Brady, eight podcasts,
2: eight. 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 How's that? Why are you Why are we releasing more than one during a day? Like, when's your double coming out? Is that Sundays? Well, so we do one on Sunday night after we recap all the games.
0: Then I talk to okay. Jason Lockenfor on Monday morning and Jared Dubin. That's the Monday preview. Then we do a Monday night recap that comes wow. out on Tuesday morning. Then we do this show on Tuesday evening on YouTube, and uh, uh, and then that's released. Then on Wednesday we do a fantasy show with B Mac and Heath on Thursday that comes out for Thursday. And then on Thursday, we record uh PIX podcast that comes out on Friday, as well as a Thursday night recap with the
2: Super Friends. So that's eight total shows. Unbelievable. I mean, there's not a lot of runway there for you, is there, Will? (laughs) Not a lot of runway when it comes to doing other stuff. I'm glad that
0: everyone uh, got that.
1: On Saturday, it's going to be Will doing 15 minutes of stand-ups. Look for that to come out as the ninth podcast. I can't wait to hear that.
2: (laughs) I hope he's drunk when he's doing it. It'll actually make it more entertaining.
0: How do you know I'm not drunk right now? (laughs) You don't. don't. Point. We don't. Yeah, don't. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, by the way, speaking of things that stupid things that that people do in stadiums, I don't know if you noticed this: the Redskins, when somebody gets a first down for Washington, they play the Super Mario Brothers music, the little noise, Uh, and they were doing it on uh, on Monday night. It's like it's not that, not not or anything, but it's like the uh, it's like the picking up coins. Um, which 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 one is that, that? The what? What does that sound like? I don't know how to make coin noises with my mouth. I you can try. I'm, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm not doing it. This is how we know. <laughs> this, this is how we know Will's not drunk. Because if, if he right. was, he would actually be drunk. <laughs> yeah, if I was drunk. I would
0: definitely make coin noises. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I say that because the Redskins are our first news item today. Before we dive into more stuff, they are not making a quarterback switch. Jay Gruden was asked about going to Dwayne Haskins and said, I think the most important thing is we have to have some continuity. You know, I can't be changing people every five minutes here. I got to give Case an ample opportunity to play with these new guys, uh, Gruden said, before crying into his pillow because he knows he doesn't have <laughs> long in Washington. Um, Brady, you were once a rookie quarterback in the NFL. Uh, would it be smart to play Dwayne Haskins in this situation? It is, I think, it would have been stupid on Monday night. Like, you don't throw him in there against the Bears. Uh, unprepared, I could see the case for starting him in, in week four though because the you have the Giants they stink and they're starting Daniel Jones and I could see Dan Snyder wanting it to happen. do you think it's a good
2: idea? I think every situation for a rookie quarterback is different, you know so much of it is predicated on where that rookie is with the offense and if we're going to use the preseason for example as any indication of where Dwayne's at uh, as compared to maybe some how some of the other rookies looked. For example, Daniel Jones, who looked great this past week. He looked great in preseason. You know, Dwayne Haskins didn't look quite as good in the preseason. And I think one thing you have to take into account is uh, Daniel Jones had a bunch of starts at Duke. He's a three-year starter. Dwayne Haskins only started one year, and in that one year, he had a phenomenal year, but he got better as the year went on. And I think there's probably a little bit of that learning curve he's dealing with right now with an NFL offense and getting adjusted to what he, they're, what they're seeing right now, uh, from opposing defenses on a week to week basis and on the game plan. So you don't want to throw the guy in there before he's ready for it. Uh, I don't think this is going to save Jay Gruden's job. I think he kind of knew that, you know, they've got to basically make the playoffs if they want to have any chance of retaining his job. And even then maybe if they make a run at this point. I, I, I don't know, but you know, Case Keenum, look, he didn't have a great game on Monday night. Everyone's going to make a big deal about the fumbles. And I believe he had what five turnovers, you know, in all with the three interceptions and two lost fumbles. But up until this point, he hasn't been the reason why they were winless. You know, he actually has been playing some really good football and Monday night he struggled. You know, there was times when there wasn't much separation. He had to make a perfect throw and he didn't and he didn't have his best game, which I don't know many quarterbacks that have their best game versus Chicago Bears defense. Um, and so the thing, the hard, tough thing for Jay Gruden is, you know, if he's going to go down, he probably wants to go down swinging, and probably with the guy that he traded for to come in there and play that fits his system, as opposed to a quarterback they drafted that maybe he didn't even want to draft. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of that stubbornness going on, matched with the fact that um, Case Keenum's like a, a captain of this team. I think a lot of guys look at him as a leader in the locker room, the way he represents himself, and and when you look at the precedent that you set as a head coach, especially of an zero and three football team. If you start demoting a guy who maybe isn't necessarily the issue, and then you start just you know allowing a rookie quarterback to step in there because your organization's worried about the future, what message is that sending to the other players? Because if if you're saying that you're more concerned about 2020 in the future than you are right now, maybe there's a lot of other veteran players in that locker room who should be starting to think, maybe I should be worried about 2020 instead of right now, too.
1: I think Brady's right about uh, Gruden possibly being stubborn because... He might be at a point where he's like, you know what? Just fire me. I've had enough. You saw him with his eyeglasses on. and looked like a librarian last night, completely frustrated with how things were unfolding. Um, and a lot of it's out of his hands. And I I do wonder, like, if he went to Dwayne Haskins, that might buy him three or four games, maybe even five or six games. But maybe he's like, as Brady points out, I'm just going to stick with Case. Whatever happens, happens. And, and Case hasn't been the issue. There have been a a whole bunch of other issues, starting with no left tackle. Trent Williams is there. Why the Redskins refuse to trade Trent Williams, I have no idea. It seems like you would want to get better if your best player isn't going to show up, no matter what, and you can move on from him and get draft picks at the very least. They don't have, uh, so they don't have him. They have one wide receiver who is a rookie, uh, Terry Scary McLaurin, who is fantastic. He's been amazing. They have no tight end in Jordan Reed, who's still battling concussion issues. The offensive line is, is in shambles, as I mentioned. The defense is terrible. So there's really no reason to put Dwayne Haskins out there. That said, these are all sort of the same reasons that you shouldn't have put Daniel Jones out there, except he exceeded all those expectations. The one caveat is they played the Bucs. So I do wonder, we mentioned that they play, the Redskins play um, the Giants next, so we'll see Daniel Jones. But then it's the Patriots, and after that it's at Miami, and maybe Miami is that game where we might see Dwayne Haskins. But again, as Brady points out, if Jay Gruden's going to stick with this guy, it'll be Case Keenum, and whatever happens, happens, and what I expect to happen is that they continue to lose football games.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things too that you look at when you, when you talk, when you talk about the schedule is that, you know, you do have the Giants on the road and the Giants passing defense is, is very porous. Uh, but, and then you, then you, but you have the Dolphins in, in three weeks, but you have the Patriots there in week five too. So you got to be a little bit careful. Um, and, and, worth noting, I mean, look, I don't want to get banged on by Mr. Mr. Jockman over there for citing nerd stats, but, uh, the 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 Redskins are eighth in terms of pass efficiency right now at uh at Football Outsiders, and they've actually had a decently tough schedule with the Eagles, Cowboys, and Bears. So I mean, if you want to say Case Keenum stinks, that's fine. That's you know not not you, Brady. I'm saying if anybody it, it wants to say that Case Keenum stinks, that's fine. But the dude came out and had, gave him leads against the Eagles and the and the Cowboys. And if you're Jay Gruden, I really do think it's right. Like you either come out and and you either go down guns blazing with a guy that you like, who's actually posting big numbers and just happen to throw a bunch of interceptions because you do not have a left tackle and the bears defense is awesome. Or you go to the guy your owner likes and you try and develop him and you get fired anyway at the end of the year. So if I'm going to get fired, I want to go out on my own terms rather than somebody else's.
2: Yeah. I think that's the moral to the story for Jay Gruden uh, because the writing does, is on the wall. Owen and three now 7% chance of them being able to make it to the playoffs. So uh, more likely than not, they are looking to the future um and and it's going to be interesting because with this team the way they look at least right now and, and i'm not sure what Dwayne Hasson's will bring i mean him and Terry McLaurin will you know have chemistry and a rapport right they played in college ball together um uh, but you talk about the issues on the offensive line I'm, I'm not sure why they don't trade Trent Williams you know it makes all the sense in the world if this team is building for the future and it seems like they're doing just that uh, i just i wonder at some point though uh, you, you got to get the guy in there and get him reps let him play um and and, and you know again it's not the perfect circumstances but uh, you still would like to see him go in there and get something done. I just I wonder if they look at this similar to the Bears with Mitchell Trubisky, another guy only started one year, and, and Mike Lynn started off that season, wasn't playing even close to as well as Case Keenum's been playing so far. Uh, but when Trubisky got in there, really limited offense, really limited some of the things he could do, and I think maybe there's a little bit of that with Jay Gruden saying, I don't want to put the guy in there because I'm going to be so limited in what I can do as a play caller that we're not going to be competitive, and, and that's going to be an issue for me. So, uh, maybe there's some of that thought, you know, too, that, you know, again, they don't want to put them in there and then run half of what their offense can do and really handy, handcuff themselves or handicap themselves so they don't have their full arsenal of plays and things they need to get to given that, you know, this team struggles as far as, you know, their overall talent and skill at every position.
0: You know, you mentioned people who went to college together who have a great rapport. That instantly made me think about our good friends. Anthony, Anthony Jeselnik and Greg Rosenthal. I don't know if you know about this. Uh, the, uh, Jeselnik and Rosenthal vanity project, a comedy central podcast is back for its second season. Anthony Jeselnik, you know, him as a famous comedian, right? Very famous. Greg Rosenthal writes about football for, uh, well, NFL.com, but he's also sometimes on NFL Network. Uh, they have actually been best friends for the last two decades, and now Comedy Central Gate saw it fit to give them a podcast together, where they basically go on, and it appears that they're trying to get each other fired from their various jobs, and mostly <laughs> Jezelnick getting Greg fired from the NFL Network. I, I think at one point, <laughs> like they were on, they were on NFL's podcast schedule, and I, it just didn't work out for various reasons. Probably because Anthony wants to bash Roger Goodell, Um, but they they pop on. They have it. It's a I think it's once a week podcast. It's hilarious. I'm I'm a listener. They make fun of current events, their producer, and each other. Um, I my favorite thing about Anthony Jeselnik is, and I'm hoping that um, he'll. He'll say this on, uh, like you know, maybe they'll do an ad advertisement with the Big Six podcast, and he'll say this. But Pete Prisco is a huge fan of his, and I want to get an audio recording of him ripping Pete Prisco. Uh, <laughs> I think Justin is funny because it would it, be fun. Um, I, I like Justin because he doesn't care about political correctness yep. at all. Like he says what he's going to say. And he does not care. He embraces a lack of political correctness. And while I think it's good to be nice to other people, uh, sometimes it's fun to enjoy a little uh, dark humor. And I think Anthony brings that. Also, Greg, pretty good uh, NFL analyst. So make sure and subscribe to the Jezelnick and Rosenthal Vanity Project to find out if these two jokers get themselves fired or each other fired. Just like maybe Brady and I will get each other fired.
2: Right, Brady? At some point, yeah. Yeah,
0: you're probably more likely to get me fired than the other way around, is my
2: guess. Ah, uh, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we we tend to go down these weird winding roads, and you tend to want to keep just keep going down that direction. So yeah, right.
0: Well, also, like, I mean, I would say that your coat of Teflon is a little thicker than mine.
2: Yeah, I just don't really care as much, you know. I mean, <laughs> and I work with Pete a lot, very close with Pete, so. Uh, your your give-a-crap meter has to be pretty low, usually with him.
0: <laughs> That's true. Um, I did
2: okay. I did actually say, because I do think at some point we're going to transition to breaking down his power rankings, I did say on HQ today that I wanted a printable version so I could use it as toilet paper to wipe my ass with. <laughs> did you actually say that on HQ? I did. I don't think oh, I said nice. ass, but yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, oh, you, you H- told him that on HQ? Yeah, he was sitting right next to me.
0: Did you say use it for the bathroom or like? I said like, use it pay? as toilet paper. Oh, nice. Yeah. Pete's, um, it's funny though, because Pete acts like he's like, you right for clickbait. It's like, I'm looking at your power rankings, bro. You're, you're looking for clicks. Like you are <laughs> looking for clicks. You started the season with the Packers above the Patriots in your power rankings. If you don't think you're looking for clicks by ranking the Packers above the freaking su- defending Super Bowl
2: champions, then you're, then what are you doing? Like you're just out here. You're looking for clicks. Here's yeah, what I appreciate Pete. about Pete, and Ryan, tell me if you agree. He laughs at his own jokes as hard as anyone. Like, he entertains himself. And so for me, <laughs> it's like watching him, and Ryan, tell me if I'm wrong. Like, that's amusing to me, like to see someone who laughs at themselves so hard and thinks they're so funny that they, they can't help themselves. They can't help from laughing at that, and that's Pete Prisco
1: in a nutshell. No, 100%. I, I will say this. Like, Pete, before I knew him, and I would just read Pete on the Internet And before I worked at CBS, absolutely hated him. I hated everything about him. This was before Twitter. And then you meet Pete. I call him Tweep. You meet Pete, and uh, he is the most genuine, honest person. You could ask him any question. He will give you the answer. You know how embarrassing it is for him. He will be straight up with you. But, yeah, he loves telling stories, and he loves laughing at the stories that he's telling you, and he loves telling the same stories over and over again. But, uh, I mean, Brady, have you ever met anyone like Pete Prisco in your life?
2: No. He is a character where if I ever wrote a book one day – Pete would have a spot in it, as would you too. But Pete would have a, a maybe a chapter, just because of how unique and how funny that guy is. Is it is this like a like
0: a fiction book or like a nonfiction? In my life is this a memoir? What's the, what's the, I, you know I haven't really gotten that far.
2: I, I think I always wonder based on so. Like, many, is this is like a Lord and, of
0: the Rings thing where Pete's the no a little no. Like, it would be more
2: nonfiction, more like kind of biography thing if it ever came out. Just because I've got a a ton of stories and uh at some point when everyone's just dead out around me and i'm sitting there on my deathbed maybe i'll think about writing at that point
1: by the way quickly I've uh, actually, uh, let, yes, go ahead. i know you've heard this brinson i don't know if you've heard this yet maybe we told you this is super bowl brady but at the at the comp uh, excuse me at the uh, senior bowl with, with dane the producer and pete pete told us he spent an hour telling us about the, the children's book he's going to write have you heard about this <laughs> no the kids the no, kid's no, name oh is God. chip and his name is Chip because it's short for Chip on his shoulder. So everything you do, Chip has a response about how you should deal with things. Uh, a lot of times ends it ends up with, with Chip punching the kid in the face. Uh, violence <laughs> is pretty heavily – so this is a children's book. Ask Pete about Chip the next time you see him, and he'll give you some insight into um, how to race. I can't wait. Kids. I can't wait. I
0: mean imagine if you took the entire human race and you dropped them into one big room and you said, let's have a draft to see who you would, who you would want to write the book that your children read. Pete's a <laughs> bottom five pick. Yeah. Like, he's like, it's like, all right, listen, fine, fine, fine. Get Prisco. Dahmer's all like, we only got Dahmer and like a few other serial killers left. Just give me Prisco. Okay. Fine, fine. <laughs> the Dolphins. <laughs> um, okay. Enough about Pete Prisco. Let's talk about a more important figure in the NFL. Uh, specifically Patrick Mahomes. Now I want to ask you, Brady, because I, this, there's sort of a building hyperbole and I'm, I'm prone to hyperbole. I haven't made these statements, but I've seen a lot of it out there. Is do you think that it's possible Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time?
2: I mean, what he's doing statistically speaking, he's he's well on his way. I think in order to obtain that title, there, you know, even though it's not a direct reflection on the play of the quarterback, but we all know he's got to win the rings, right? He's got to win the Super Bowls, and it's hard to ever surpass the greatest of all time uh, in in New England and, and Tom Brady because he's won so often he's been there so often in super bowl uh and obviously has what six rings for whatever it is now i mean it's it, it's it's ridiculous so until he obtains all those you know he can have all the stats he wants I, I think there's gonna be a lot of quarterbacks with a lot of you know big stats and numbers especially in this day and age of the nfl but the pace that he's on right now it's just it, it's unbelievable i mean to think that you know people were thinking like oh he's gonna see a regression, like. He's not regressing. He's not staying the same. Like he's on a faster pace to surpass the numbers he had last year as an MVP. So, it, I mean, to me, I think anyone who would come up with like the idea that I don't know Dak Prescott should win the MVP uh, just because they don't like giving it back to back years. I don't know who came up with that, but someone said it recently here at CBS. Uh, anyone who thinks uh, was, that. It was,
0: it, it- it was oh, it, eight, it, I, Yeah,
2: I know. I know. Yeah. I, I, I realized who it was, by the way, Will. Uh, I just think it's, it's asinine to think that considering the, the pace that he's on at this point in time. I mean, it is unbelievable what he's doing. And so I, I think if he surpasses what he did last year, he's a shoo-in for the MVP.
1: So here's the thing. That's- I mean, Patrick Holmes clearly is amazing. And I agree with all that, Brady. Um, I made a quick list before the podcast about my top five sort of young quarterbacks. So Pat Mahomes is number one right now. Dak Prescott, here's the list, number two. Um, this is not my list, but Dak Prescott happens to be number two here. Number three, I have Deshaun Watson. Number four, Lamar Jackson. He slipped a little bit in Kansas City, but I still thought he played relatively well. Brinson can tell you how he got yelled at by Ravens fans. And finally, I have at number five, Jacoby Brissett. Like, he's sort of under the radar, out of nowhere. I just watched the game where they played the Falcons. I watched it earlier today. He is so consistent. And he does everything right. He makes very few mistakes. And I think the way that defense is playing in Indianapolis, the way the offensive players are around him, they have a, I still think they can win that division. But those are my top five. I love Jacoby Brissett maybe more than Brentson loves Phillip Rivers.
0: I, you know? I'm just not sure that Dak, <laughs> that Patrick sweet. Mahomes' stats are that much better than Dak Prescott's. Just throwing it out there.
2: He won the MVP last year. To be wearing that so? crown, to be going into this season and and so far putting up the numbers that he's doing that are going to surpass it. Like, okay, brinson Let's see if you think that's going to hold true. Uh, are you taking Dak Prescott to put up better numbers than Patrick Mahomes by the end of this year? No. Okay, shut your pie hole then, cuz you're oh. just trying to make cuz that's a clickbait <laughs> article. That's a clickbait comment right now with you saying trying to put Dak in that category. L- watch the two play. It's not even close. The throw he made into the corner of the end zone off his back foot with pressure in his face to DeMarcus Robinson. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Dak can't make that throw. Like I, he I mean, I knew it. He threw it as I was,
0: I was, I was just watching these two, uh, two court, former quarterbacks talk about it on social media. He threw it before, as Daniel Jeremiah pointed out and you responded to him. Um, he threw it before the guy broke. Like it was yeah. insane. Like he's, like, I mean, no, look. That, it's, it's called anticipation,
2: guess, they, which he does as good as, or maybe as yeah. good, if not better than, than a lot of other people All right, right let now. Let, let me, let me,
0: let me ask, let me ask this a, a, uh, a, a different way. Instead of is he the best quarterback ever? I just think that sort of got, it got, it got drummed up the wrong way. Is he, has he passed by Aaron Rodgers as the most impressive athletic specimen we've ever seen play quarterback? Cause I previously thought it was Aaron Rodgers, And now I kind of think it's Dak Prescott.
2: As far as a specimen. I mean, I would actually make the case like Josh Allen, as far as a specimen is probably better. Right. Cause he's got the strong arm. He's got his greater athleticism. He's smart too. I think his wonderlook score is higher than everyone else's in his draft class. But, um, the reason, I mean, his accuracy isn't quite there yet, but if he it continues to improve like he did from his rookie year to his second year, you know, five, four, three, four, five years down the road, you might be having a much different conversation about that. So, um, he would be someone that as far as a specimen that I would probably put up there, uh, next to Patrick Mahomes, but as far as just playing the position and the feel for it, the types of throws he can make, um, and, 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 and with, you know, the way he positions his body to make those throws, it's just, To me, I don't know if there's, there's anyone like it or anything like it. I mean, Aaron's there too, but it's just, it's, it's crazy. And it really is crazy to see what he's been able to do in the short stint that he started now for a year plus. Um, and I think he is on pace at least to shatter every record that's been out there. It's just, can this, can they maintain this pace? That's the thing. Like, I think, I think if anything, you could make the case for Patrick Mahomes being the greatest of all time because I don't know if we've ever seen a quarterback where the NFL hasn't adjusted to him. Like right now, we're watching teams play against him, and you're kind of saying to yourself, like, the Baltimore defense is pretty good. Like, I, like, you know, I, I know they're banged up in some areas, they got some new pieces here and there, but they're not that bad. And he didn't have, he didn't have any issue with them. Uh, the, the, the box score looked a lot closer than the game actually was going back and watching it. And, and so with an entire offseason to prepare for this guy, teams still don't have an answer. And so that's the crazy thing for me is like, they still don't have an answer after an entire offseason. And this is the NFL. Usually when there's a book out on you, there's gonna be some challenging games at times, and as we haven't really seen that from uh, any defense right now, you know, throughout the course of his career, besides maybe a game or two last year at the end. But for the most part, he's been unstoppable.
1: So Brady, you mentioned the arm angles and the you know the twisting body positions and all that. You played baseball growing up. We know obviously know that Mahomes played baseball. How big a factor is that? Is it a factor at all? Too. People talk about it, but is it really a factor? Yeah, I, I think it. Uh,
2: you know, you play middle infield. You play different spots. You know, you kind of learn just how to throw. You know, and, and and there's a there's a degree of like, just being able to pick up whatever you want, throw it, hit what you're aiming at. You know, that like that's accuracy. Uh, whether it's a football, baseball, rock, you know, whatever it is you're talking about. And I think the guys who are most talented like that have the ability to do that. And 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 he's obviously you know in that category. But the the delivery, I think, for baseball for him, and then how it allows him to be so versatile with the different arm angles that he throws from. Definitely plays a factor in all of it. Yeah, as
0: a uh fellow former baseball player, Brady, um I would I played a lot of youth baseball actually. Didn't play not a football guy, a baseball guy. Uh, but uh youth baseball. So like not even in high school or where where, where did we stop there, Will? Nah, third, fourth grade, it's fine. It's not <laughs> uh, <yeah>, T ball. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. God, relax. Um I don't remember when I stopped. Anyway, my point being is that I think when you look at some of the best uh, former baseball players, and this does not include Tim Tebow, the biggest thing about it for me is like they're so good at keeping their eyes downfield and keeping sort of um their balance as they're making a throw while on the move. And you see that with, I think, Mahomes, Russell Wilson, uh, Kyler Murray obviously come to mind. Just guys who you can tell that their platform remains steady and their balance remains steady while they're on the move. Those arm angles, of course, help. They, you know, they, they, learn how to change that. But I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that really does come from baseball. And it's a reminder, kids, go play two sports. Don't just stick to football.
2: Go play you three, play man. Go play three sports. Play as much as you can. It's all going to help you out. And then that way you'll stay out of trouble. And remember the debate
0: club, very important as well. Also, you didn't <laughs> do <the>
1: debate.
2: <laughs> what do you, what do you mean? Yes, I did. Um, I, Here, I can debate, guarantee Germany, you, Ryan, yeah. Will did this. Um, Will, do you know what cotillion is? Yes, of course I did
1: continue. <laughs> uh, let's look at some
0: other young quarterbacks, not the guys who made it on Ryan's list. I like Ryan's list, though. Jacoby Brissett, good inclusion. He's playing really well right now. Um, what did you think about Daniel Jones, Brady? Because he came in and lit the world on fire. Danny Dimes, if you will. Uh, 23 of 36 for 336 yards, two touchdowns, four rushes, 28 yards. A pair of rushing touchdowns, uh, the first rookie in NFL history to have 300 plus, uh, and two of each of those TDs in a single game. Most passing yards in a Giants first start, most passing yards by a Giants rookie, most passing yard in a road win in a rookie's first career start. Is Danny Dimes the truth or did we just get a little, uh, like a fake fall situation? Like it was cool last week and now it's hot again. It's fake fall. Do we get a fake, fake look at Danny Dimes or is it real?
2: Can I ask this question to both of you? If, if Tampa Bay, if Matt Gay hits that field goal, are we having the same conversations, the same tone on this conversation?
1: I, th- I think so 20- just because Giants fans were so happy to see him not be terrible after three months of most of us, myself included, sometimes dogging the pick at number six, which I think was a big issue. What do you got, Brenton?
0: Yeah. I mean, that, part of, part of my concern is that a lot of the production from Dan, Daniel Dimes, came in garbage time like it was 28 to 10 and I think Todd Bowles and Bruce Arians sort of checked out at halftime. We're like, all right, let's mail this thing in. Let's get done with it. And get out of here. Uh, and then all of a sudden uh, Daniel Jones was firing all around. Now look, you get the win. It doesn't matter, but yeah, if Tampa Bay makes that field goal. I don't think we're speaking of him in in the platitudes that we are currently doing because it was a heroic comeback without Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones was making some big boy throws. So I, yeah, I mean, maybe not but
2: he he did look pretty freaking good he he looked good and i think that here's what i just take about from the performance i mean for starters he's going to have to run the football like he did and i think that's the element that he brings to this that eli manning obviously can't and and it's going to open some things up that helps out the offensive line you know people are always like well why does it help because now the defense has to account for the quarterback and so because now you can basically hold a defensive end or hold a backside linebacker because that guy, when you go to handoff, if you go to boot away, he's watching you. You know, He's got to stay home and be accountable for you because if not, he's just going to keep that football on right in the end zone like we saw down in Tampa. And so for that reason, it gives you better angles in the blocking scheme. You gain a man. And so unless the defense adjusts and they bring another guy into the box because they now have to be responsible for you, then you got one-on-one coverage on the outside. So it makes everyone's life easier. And so that's going to be a big key for them moving forward. You know, the fact that he did it without Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, I was obviously a big piece of it too. When you break down some of the throws, I mean, look, the, the two touchdown passes. Well, one of them, the Ingram, he did all the work, right? That was about like a 12-yard completion and then he ran the rest of the way with it. So, uh, I'm not taking anything away from the win. I just asked that question because when you look at the box score and you look at the fact that they won the game, now he's the hero if he comes back comes up short because they met the field goal in the end we might be saying he played really well but you know there's five sacks two fumbles um, those could have end up being the difference in them winning and losing so he's got to continue to improve and grow a little bit so the narrative in my mind changes a little bit with the fact that um, you know they won the game you know, you did see a missed kick from Tampa Bay there was i, I guess some drama with Bruce Arians decision to take a delayed game to move it back to center which i didn't have an issue with um, and so I just think that changes the narrative a little bit. Look, Tampa Bay has a much improved defense. They are not what he will face as they continue on this year. We will see then without Saquon Barkley with a bad offensive line and a defense that's going to give up a lot of points, then really what he's made of because, you know, to your guys' point, some of that production came, I don't want to say in garbage time, but versus much softer coverage from Tampa. And that's obviously not going to be the case, uh, moving forward through the rest of the schedule.
0: Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately though, because Daniel Dimes played well, probably means Eli Manning's gonna be out there looking for, uh, un, uh, nueva trabajo. It means a new job in Spanish. Um, maybe you're out there looking for a new job. Is
2: that what you, you, that's where you, you got that from?
0: I speak Spanish. Why does nobody believe that I speak Spanish? Well, we we know, we know
2: you have a a, a bunch of people who, you know, help
1: out around the house and everything else at the Brinson estate. So Andy used the wrong tense for new. Uh To to pair it with Trabajo, but go ahead, Dr. <laughs> no
0: comment. Uh, I will, however, comment on the fact that hiring, Brady, can be a slow process. Cafe Artura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. He's having trouble finding qualified applicants, so he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the candidates finding you; it finds them for you. This technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job, so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he's impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all size. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our custom web address, ZipRecruiter.com. pick that's ZipRecruiter.com slash P-I-C-K, ZipRecruiter.com slash pick. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, we will find out about who needs to hire more quarterbacks coming up after the break.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: All right, time to talk some more young quarterbacks. For instance, let's talk about Kyle Allen. (laughs) Um... Actually, I want to ask you about Cam Newton, Brady, because okay. Cam Newton—it's reported by Joseph Person of the Athletic, first reported by him. I think it's been reported elsewhere since then—that um, Cam Newton is battling a Lis Frank injury. You—I don't know if your foot injury was Lis Frank related or not, but I know you have had foot injuries and as a quarterback. Um, two-part question. I know you love those. One: What does a foot injury do? in terms of your mechanics while throwing the ball because I don't think people fully grasp just how important that is and two do you think Cam Newton will return this season from a Liz Frank injury
2: um, okay so for starters I did have a Liz Frank injury in 2009 okay, and uh, this is uh, and I, I can I can talk on it because we went both routes about how to handle it, how to fix it uh, so the first route I went was non-surgical and and it all comes down to this so a Liz Frank is the ligament that goes over your midfoot, right? So imagine a, a ligament that is attached to your metatarsals, that's what they're called, uh, across your midfoot. And when you tear it, you start to get separation between your, your first metatarsal, which is where your big toe, right, that 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 row of metatarsals and bones down your down your first toe. And then your second toe, right? So you literally, if you put pressure on your foot, there's no ligament there to hold them together. So in your midfoot, you get separation between the two. Your, your toes start to spread apart naturally from your weight and pressure. So obviously it's uh painful and it's not good structurally for you if you're trying to perform in particular in athletics. And so back then they would have told you that. You know They were kind of on the fence. You could either go the non-surgical route or surgical route. Nowadays, you get surgery. And this kind of brings me to the Ryan Tannenhill partial ACL tear from a couple years ago with the Dolphins, right? They said, oh, we're going to rehab it. It's a partial tear, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that was stupid. You should have just got the darn thing operated on in the first place. Everyone tries to avoid surgery, but in the case of a ligament, the thing doesn't heal itself. If you go the non-surgical route, this is what they hope for. They hope that... You you put in a cast for six weeks, or at least this was what I had to do. You put in a cast for six weeks. You take that off. You put in a walking boot for six weeks. So you go from non-weight-bearing to partial weight-bearing to then after six weeks, so about two and a half months, to eventually starting to work to be weight-bearing and walking again, right? And it probably takes you about five months, six months before you're really working back into things. That's the non-surgical route. And so I did that, and it didn't heal Right. It was problematic for the next five years of my career playing in the NFL. And if I could have changed one thing going back, it would have for sure been getting surgery at that point in time then. And then, wow. you know, would have changed things. Who knows? So I recently had the surgery. I'm actually about four months post-op now uh, doing that's, better. So
0: that's the surgery that you had was the Lis Frank surgery.
2: Correct. Uh, so I oh, finally wow, had I it realize. corrected. Um, they had to shave down bone literally with a saw uh, because there was a bone spur that had developed because that helps create stability in the. In the midfoot. Well, I'm knocking stuff around here. Um, just and, throw it away. It's fine. yeah, it's, it, it's got nice branding though. Um, yeah, I just knocked off the mic cover. Anyway, um, the, when, what they do is they put in a plate and two screws or they're going to put in, um, like two staples, in, 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 which in, in my case is what was put in my midfoot. And what they hope is they drill them into your, your midfoot and your bones. And they hope that midfoot basically fuses. So it becomes all one and you lose mobility, but you get back stability. And so you can put weight on it, and then you can get back to, to being back to hopefully your, as close as possible to your normal self. So that's what he's potentially facing. I don't know the severity of the tear, the sprain, if it's, you know, a little micro tears or, or how big the separation is between his first and second metatarsal, or really his toes. Uh, but that's largely going to determine if and when he can come back, uh, if it is indeed a Liz Frank injury. Uh, so how does that impact the throwing motion? Well, if it's this, if you're a right-handed quarterback and it's your right foot, which I believe it's his left. But in this case, if it was your right foot, that's your push leg. So all your weight really as you transition to throw the football is pushing from the ground all the way up to the tip of your finger as you release. And that's where a lot of your power is derived from. So that's obviously going to be key. And if, if, if it's painful to put weight on it, that's going to be affected. If it's your uh, transition foot, uh, or in this case, you know his left foot, that's obviously the one you're transferring all your weight on. Well, if you... For example, have pain, and when you transfer your weight onto your left foot, you're probably not going to transfer all your weight onto that left foot. So your mechanics are going to be screwed up because you're not following all the way through with your throw or torquing and twisting the way you should because it's going to be painful to do so, and you're probably going to be falling back on your right foot, right? And what does that cause? Sometimes it causes overthrows, right? Because you're not finishing through your motion to drive that football. Instead that's that's why you would start sailing
0: wide open is that how you would start sailing wide open passes in the middle of a Thursday night football game because you're
2: because you can't put weight on your left foot, right? Exactly. Um it would it would impact the way in which you'd plant and fall on your left foot. Um so it creates inaccuracy issues, both sailing balls high, and but then potentially what happens is because you know you're talking about the Liz Frank ligament, typically uh, between your first and second metatarsal so your your big toe and your second toe you start rolling to the outside of your foot to compensate right your body naturally wants to avoid pain so you'd roll the outside of it well then all of a sudden imagine like a, a pitcher you know pushing off of the mound and as he plants with his left foot he's falling over to his left because he doesn't want to put weight on you know that inside part of his foot and so and then that again causes uh inaccuracy too in the throwing motion and in your mechanics so Either way, I would say it's, it's not a good thing for him moving forward. If he tries to go the non-surgical route, my advice for him, depending on the severity of the tear of the, the damage to the ligament will be just get the surgery now. It's about a six month recovery before he can go back to being close to feeling normal, probably a little longer than that. Um, but it, it should bode well for him, you know, moving on in the future. Uh, and so does he return? I would say if it indeed it is a Liz Frank injury, I'd be saying more likely than not, uh, no, because you know, one you're talking about a team that is one and two at this point. Do they have a chance of coming back potentially? Um, and, and we'll see how Kyle Allen does the rest of the way. Uh, but if they're not going to be in the playoff hunt, and I do think I'll have to sit out that much time in order to let it heal. Because if he comes inflamed or he has more issues with it, and it, it could get worse, it could tear, and, and then you're getting surgery anyway. So um, those sorts of things are the things you have to play out. And for that reason, I, I don't know if we're going to see him back this season.
0: All right. Well, let me so. If I recall correctly, do you? When did you? When did you hurt your foot in two thousand nine? Do you remember?
2: Yeah, I heard it, hurt it okay. uh, in November or was it December of that year? It might have been December of that year. Okay. Um, we we're playing Kansas City. We we're on the road, and uh, it was the very end yep. of the game. I had a guy literally fall on the back of my foot as I was running out of bounds.
0: Oh God! So, so you didn't? You were done for the year at that point, then,
2: right? Yeah, we had two weeks left at that point, so. At that okay. point, we were evaluating all circumstances. And, uh, I, and you know, again, I, I tried to tell them, like, hey, let me try to get a second opinion to come back and play. Eric Mangini at the time really didn't want to mess with that.
0: Okay. All right. I, no, I was just curious about how it would, like, a, like from a psychological standpoint of do I get surgery? Do I try to rehab this? Because if you're Cam Newton, he's going into the final year of his contract. I mean, he's going to have yeah. a lame duck year. It's hard. The Panthers can't pay him this offseason. If he's having a Lisfranc Frank surgery and just had a shoulder surgery two years ago. So you almost wonder, like, depending on where he is in his career, depending on what he wants for his long-term future, depending on where he wants to be, depending on what the Panthers want, that could alter sort of his decision here. That, that to me is kind of the interesting, uh, spot where the Panthers find themselves in from a, I, I mean, I, I don't see how you come back. Though. I mean, like Matt Shaw I've had this happen in November of 2011. He couldn't come back. I mean, this is not something that you see players Quarterbacks are not returned from, so I, I, I would be surprised I mean, if
2: we don't see. If, if this is a skill position player, like a wide receiver, running back, and I, or you know, Liz Frank Achilles tendons, like those things drastically change the rest of their yeah. career. I mean, they're they're you're not going to have a, your 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 bones are fused in the middle of your foot, and so think about a sprinting motion when you're when you're hitting on the ball of your foot, and you've got all that power and force going through. You don't have the same amount of flexion, so your gait changes, and just you know the, the explosiveness you know, changes in that regard. So, um you know, and he's a guy that's athletic as a quarterback. So it's it's going to change a little bit of, I think, how he's going to run, how he's going to play. You think they can win?
1: Do you think they make the playoffs with Kyle Allen, Ryan? Stop it. <laughs> no. He had a great Why? game. He played out of his mind. If they could make the playoffs with Kyle Allen, he'd have been a starter this season. I mean, they started with Cam Newton for, for a reason, obviously. We'll see. This is sort of the same conversation we're having about Daniel Dimes. I mean, we'll see what happens as we go through this. One game he was lights out. Uh, and they were playing the Cardinals. So, I mean, he made a lot of great throws in that game, but they were playing the Cardinals. So, let's see what happens. The good news is that um that division isn't great. They're three teams that are one and two. So, if they go, they win nine games, maybe they're in the mix. I think eight games maybe feels like a stretch with with Kyle Allen. But uh, as you point out, every time we talk, Brenton um he he's very popular in North Carolina, more popular than Cam Newton. It sounds like.
0: Yeah, I well, mean, listen, listen. We gotta get this guy in there. Get Cam out. It is time to make a change. I love my. That's my. That's my North Carolina. That's how you sound or... when you
2: have a few drinks in you. Will look. I, I had the <laughs> chance to break him down on film. This is why I'm optimistic about the young man. Highest hey,
0: you covered the game. What are we talking about?
2: Yeah, highest, highest recruited quarterback in his class out of high school. Went to Texas A&M. Uh, ironically, him and Kyler Murray were there, uh, for, I think they shared a year back in what, 2015 maybe? Yeah, they both transferred. Um, and they both transferred, went their separate ways. Kyler obviously ends up, uh, you know, kind of sitting behind Baker for a while at Oklahoma, but having a phenomenal year winning a Heisman. Kyle Allen goes to Houston, doesn't really even start. I think he started like four games. Uh, and that's it. And so he was a bit of a journeyman last year, but when he did get to Carolina, um, you know, he, he balled out I and mean, he ended up going to New Orleans. They didn't start Drew Brees, but they started a lot, a lot of the starters in that defense in that game. Uh Played incredible in that game. Had two touchdown passes, no picks. Rushed for another touchdown in that one. So it kind of gave you the sense just watching the film like, okay, this kid can play. And then this year, <clears throat> just watching him this past week in the game, he can make all the throws. I mean, he's very, very capable of making all the throws, operating this system. He's athletic enough, too, to hurt you with his legs from time to time. And I think with the pieces they have out around them, you know, DJ Moore emerging as the number one wide receiver, Greg Olson back being, you know, that safety valve for him over the middle, the running game with Christian McCaffrey who's not slowing down, Curtis Samuel who can do a bunch of different things, they have a nice cast of weapons for him to distribute the ball to, and North Turner, you know, is setting him up to win. So I think this team's got a shot with him. Now, the more he plays, Murphy's Law, the more bad things can and will happen. Um, but I'm curious to see where this goes because I really do think this could be a a tremendous story of a guy that um, has the tools, has the skill set, just needs more experience.
1: All right, Brady, you mentioned North Turner. I think this is a fantastic point because – Watching the uh, Cardinals game from my home, uh, as just on regular television, it looked like Norv Turner was dialing up a lot of plays that made it a little easier for Kyle Allen to make throws, to make reads, to do the things you want a young quarterback to do and not have to worry about the big picture. And I mentioned that because if you watch the Steelers play the 49ers, Mason Rudolph made his first start, and it did not go great. And that's an understatement. Uh, credit to the 49ers' defense. That defense is way underrated. The front four is amazing, starting with both in the three of the first-round draft picks. But... My issue in part, um, like Brett Michaels, I'm a Steelers homer, but my issue in part is that the OC didn't do enough to help Mason Rudolph. Number one, how important is it, is it to have a good offensive coordinator? And number two, what should an OC be doing to make things easier for a young quarterback making his first or second start, especially when you're playing a really good defense, especially when you're 0 and three?
2: Yeah, one, a couple of things I'd say to do, you know, give him formations that give him answers before the snap. Um, and so based on the personnel you have in the game and based on whether it's empty four or, you know, for example, if you're an eye right slot, right? I back set, tight end to the right, two eye receivers to the left. Most defenses will play their normal base personnel. And if they go corners over, that's an indication that they're playing man. There's not a lot of defenses that will play zone coverage with corners over out of that. So if I know right now if it's, it's man or zone, then I know if it's man, I'm working my matchup. Where do I want to go with the football? And the only guy I really have to hold is potentially a rat or a funnel hole player and then the middle of the field safety that's it those are the only guys i really have to manipulate with my eyes if it's zone now i'm going through a progression and now i'm looking at leverage of the zone defenders so for example think i right slot we've got a corner route by our tight end we've got our, our seam route basically clearing out for a deep uh, you know a, a deep uh, dig or a deep in cut and in that particular case You're probably looking at that deep in cut down to your back if it's in zone coverage, man coverage. You're probably looking at your matchup on the tight end. Do you like it if it's Greg Olson, if I'm Kyle Allen, or if I'm Mason Rudolph, depending on you know who I've got there, I might be saying yeah. Otherwise you're probably still working back to that dig, maybe peaking the seam, depending on you know what's holding that safety. But you know, bottom line is the formations help give answers before the snap and they help the quarterbacks become more decisive and make faster decisions. Um the next thing is protection. If you go back and watch that game plan, there weren't a ton of times where there was just five-man empty protections. They they utilized six, seven-man protections at times. Uh, I think even maybe one time they had an eight-man protection. And the biggest key is if you can protect things up, especially when you have those two tight end sets they call 12 personnel, you're usually going to get some sort of form of one-on-one coverage, either man or zone. And if that's the case, you're going to give your quarterback time. He can step up in the pocket, and he can at least get an accurate throw off instead of subjecting him to a bunch of pressure. So the two things I would say, give him answers for the staff of the football with the formations, and then protect him up. Like, give him some opportunities. Even if there's only three men out in the routes, eventually you could find some windows to throw to versus zone, or if it's man-to-man, someone should be able to win in that matchup.
0: See, that's why I love having you on the podcast, Brady. You're not just a pretty face with some medical foot knowledge. Like, you got you got like a little, <laughs> a little deep dive on quarterbacking, too. Um, I, obviously, joke. Uh Do you... What did you think about the Saints' game plan? Because I think it did incorporate some of that. Like it made some. I mean, like it. It was. I don't want to call it neutered. It was safe, man. It was so safe.
2: It was very safe. A lot of throws were on the last Games. I'm looking back on my phone for a couple of notes because I, I actually broke down a number of games and um. So he didn't throw th-
0: one ball more than 20 yards down the field, Teddy Bridgewater. That is, which is fine. They had a lead. They used Alvin Kamara a ton in the passing game. Ten targets, nine catches. And Camara took over. Like Camara had his highest snap count, I think, in like six or seven months. But I mean, this was not a hey, Teddy B's stepping in, he's gonna win the game for us type of situation. This was all right, we don't have Drew Brees. Teddy Bridgewater is a great game manager, uh, with a nice high floor, but we're gonna give him a bunch of one yard five foot throws, right?
2: Yeah, so a lot of a lot of short completions. I actually think he had the least amount of like air yards, I know that's a term you use, of any quarterback this weekend, which is something you're seeing more and more of. Okay? By the way. Kyle Allen had the most air yards of any quarterback. You know, he was slinging a man. They were to, like I said, protect him up, take some shots downfield too. And especially a guy, by the way, it was a homecoming for him. He's from Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah. And the greatest story from that game, you probably guys probably didn't hear it because they didn't have a huge audience, but he gets in town Friday. They came in two days ahead of time for that game. He calls up his parents like, Mom, Dad. Uh, we're going to do some sort of dinner and have a bunch of people over. and They're like, sorry, son. We're at the Bellagio at the tables in Vegas. Uh, We're pregame and getting ready for it. Happy for you. We'll see you before the game. We'll see you after. And so he never even saw his parents before the game because they're having a fun trip in Vegas. How awesome is that? Um, wait, what?
0: Wait wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. His parents are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad it's your first game, Kyle. We're going to Vegas. We'll see you. We'll see you when we see you. Um,
2: I don't know that they knew the way, he was coming in two days ahead of time. Fair. Uh, uh Real quick. Real quick on, on Mason Rudolph, cause I wanna go back to that. So, we kinda made a big deal about, like, his, like, we're making a big deal about the air yards and Teddy Bridgewater with, with a conservative offense. So, Mason Rudolph was 10 for 12 on throws behind the line of scrimmage. At the line of scrimmage, we're behind. He had, like, another two that were over the line of scrimmage, maybe by a yard or two, right? On the day, on the day, he was, like, 14 of 27, so think about that. 10 of his 14 completions were behind the line of scrimmage. That's how conservative they were with him. And another two that were well within close to it, right? And so basically, if you're looking at him throwing the ball past the line of scrimmage, he was 415. Very conservative. It just kind of gives you a sense of where they feel like they're at with him. And this is coming from a guy that, you know, kind of excelled at throwing the ball, pushing the ball down the field in college. Which you know was a part byproduct of the fact they have James Washington. He's good. Bad defenses in the Big Twelve, and it's more of Mike Gundy's offense and his style. But uh, it's not a good sign for the Steelers moving forward, and I think for the Saints to go back to that conversation, they're not going to be able to continue to do what they did out in Seattle with them um the entire season. They're going to have to take some shots, take some chances downfield.
0: Yeah, the uh, average uh, completed air yards for Teddy Bridgewater worst in the NFL, one point eight. Uh. One point nine for Kyler. One point nine for Kyler. The other guy you covered. Mason Rudolph, two point three. And um where's my guy? Uh oh, uh, I guess he actually finished um Kyle Allen, eight point three. He ended up getting topped by a couple people uh, later in later in the week. Um speaking of later in the week, coming up, we got some week four matchups to look for. How how do you assess the Eagles? They're one and two. A lot of people, a lot of people picked him to go to the Super Bowl. A lot of people did. Not me, a lot of people. Probably Ryan. Um, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. One and two (laughs) going to Green Bay. Green Bay's defense is awesome. It's a top five defense right now. I think it's a legit top five defense. How does, how does Philadelphia attack Green Bay with all their injuries? And can they
2: go into Green Bay and come away with a win? Are we teasing this or are we talking about it right now? We're talking about it. Okay. I thought we were going into a break. Uh or at least you had hinted at that, unless unless I've had a too few too many toughies, uh Ryan. Tell me if I'm wrong. Um
0: You're
2: not, did here, I, did I here, miss? You missed a break, didn't you?
0: No, no, I didn't miss a break. We took the break earlier.
2: Oh, okay. Um here's how I attack Green Bay. If you look at their you know, their kind of weak points. Um there's a couple things obviously you gotta do. One, the edge rushers in this defense. Have done a tremendous job of getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So, uh, I've got to ensure that my quarterback has time. And Carson Wentz hasn't had a ton of time. I don't know if the offensive lines necessarily played great so far this year, um, but they got to figure out way to blocking it up. Whether that's using the running back and tight ends to chip on their way out, or formationally making it a longer path, um, you know, for Zadarius Smith or Preston Smith, those guys to be able to get pressure. Um, that's the first thing I'm going to try to do. The next thing I want to try to do is find ways of matching up with the linebackers. I think that's their weakest point in coverage. So I may try to use uh, more two tight end sets, see if I can get Zach Ertz matched up on Blake Martinez or one of my running backs uh, matched up on Blake Martinez because I think their secondary is pretty salty. And I don't know how many times i are going to find many opportunities there. So. I want to get them in man-to-man coverage situations, or if it's versus zone, I'd like to work the interior of the field and see if I can work some of those guys. Um, because Darnell Savage, he's a savage, so I don't want to mess with that guy either. <laughs> um, so that's going to be more of the game plan. I think some short, quick passing game too, and then you know off of that, try to protect it up, take some shots downfield when you get your chances. That's probably going to be your best way. But so far, their defensive front has been some game-wreckers. Uh, and I don't know if they have many weak spots in this defense. So for that reason, you got to pick your spots as far as your matchups, who you're trying to target. And then look if they can run the football, that would be helpful too. I think providing some balance too, try to beat those guys up up front on their defensive front uh would go a long way too and helping Carson Wentz have uh, a little bit more success playing against this Packers defense.
1: I feel like if the Eagles are healthy, they're the team that we thought they were going to be before the season. I really have no bead on what to make of the Browns other than Baker Mayfield talks a lot, Freddie Kitchen seems way in over his head, and we sort of saw that in the in the national in the primetime game. And let's see, here's their schedule, Brady. At Baltimore, at San Francisco, Seattle, and then they finally get their buy. Should Freddie Kitchen be calling plays, number one? And number two, how do you fix all that's wrong with Baker? Let me throw this stat at, at you real quick that I just saw next gen stat. Baker Mayfield is throwing in the double coverage at the highest rate, six point four percent in the NFL through week three. So there are a bunch of troubling signs. We saw a lot of that in, in the game uh, on national, national television to the Rams. How are you fixing the Browns, Brady?
2: Well, you're not because you can't fix the offensive line. That's their first issue. Uh, offensively speaking, that's not a very great group right now. Could they develop over time? Maybe, but I'm not holding my breath on that. So what does Baker Mayfield have to do? For starters, he's got to get rid of the football quicker. You know, He holds on to the football too long, trying to wait to take shots downfield. Uh, sometimes when you're just not there, or there's, there's a positive completion somewhere else. Uh, and so that's one of the things that he has to improve them on personally. Now, in regards to throwing in the double coverage, well, that's what you get when you got Odell Beckham, right? And you gotta find a way of getting him the football. Everyone knows you want to get him the football. And you're gonna try to hang on them him a little bit longer too, to get him that football. So, whether it's zone coverage, they're gonna be doubling him. If it's man coverage, there's probably gonna be a safety at a minimum shading to his side to provide help. Um, but he's going to attract a lot of attention. So it's not shocking that since most reads start with your star and your best player, uh, most things are going to go through Odell Beckham. And so it makes sense. And I think that can kind of speak to maybe some of the issues that they are having. Should Freddie Kitchens call plays? Uh, I think he should, because it's what he feels comfortable and confident in doing. Um, and so you know I do a radio show. I had a guy call the other day and says, Todd Munkin, the issue, you know, they don't have these issues last year. Is it Todd Munkin? I'm like, dude, Todd Munkin was bowling in Tampa. Uh, with a lesser team i don't think he's the issue and he's not calling the play anyway um so let's not put it on todd munkin uh but i think if anything for freddie kitchens it might be the fact that look he's got to manage it all now you know he's got he's he's the final say on if they're going to challenge something or what they want to challenge the clock management um and and he's got to kind of oversee the entire team in all three phases so you add that on top of your plate of calling plays. Makes your job a little bit more difficult. Maybe you're not as clear-minded and, and you run a draw on fourth and nine thinking it'll be a good idea. Uh, and when it's maybe not. So uh, I think that some of that a, plays right, a factor. I don't think,
0: I don't think he knew what down it was. I really don't think he knew it's what down It's a terrible
1: was. idea on third and nine.
2: Right. And, and it only speaks more to exactly what I'm saying is if he didn't know what down it was, he's got too much on his plate as it is. Um, and so look, right. like if you
1: were,
0: if you were being asked, if you were being asked to sit there and juggle and like talk about football and broken bones in your foot, you wouldn't be very good at one of those things because you'd be no. too busy juggling to focus on football. You still you'd be call too busy to focus for, on football. So, so you, so there's, still you don't think Brady can juggle, Ryan? You don't think he can juggle? That's rude.
1: No, no, I'm saying you could be doing all those things, and if you, me, or Brady were juggling and talking about our feet and someone said, hey, do you want to call a draw play right here? We would all at the same time say, no, this is that's idiotic. That's
2: my point. <laughs> so if you go back through the years, right, Maybe back since the start of 2000. How many head coaches have, um, and maybe even before that, throughout NFL history, how many have called plays and been the head coach? Most recently, Doug Peterson, right? Was that in 2017, I believe? Sean Payton, and they went to what, 20, 2000 and... Gosh, was that nine? nine? Yeah. Yep. And so 2009 and then, and then Mike McCarthy, I believe he did in 2010. I think he was calling the plays and, then. I can't remember.
0: And Andy Reid, Andy Reid does it and hasn't won the Super Bowl, but he's been
2: very good. No, but that's the whole point is we're talking about winning the Super Bowl. That's the objective of the Browns. That's the objective of any head coach that takes a job. He's trying to win a Super Bowl. And so there, there should be some thought to, you know, how wise is it to, to take that job and then not delegate that task? Cause there is a fair amount of, of management. If you're managing people. That's what your job is as a head coach and then the situations. And if you're not on top of that, You know, maybe, you know, to the point of juggling, maybe you are slipping in some of those areas. And, and I think when you're looking through since the start of 2000, granted, the Patriots have won a lot of Super Bowls and Bill Belichick has been overseeing all of that. Um, you, you're still, and and you're looking at other coaches too that, that have won that, um, you know, Pete Carroll, for example, again, he's delegating to everyone else. So there's another number of examples and more examples of coaches who are just the head coach and oversee everything else as opposed to calling one side. And I know that's been more of the recent trend. But I don't necessarily know if it's going to end up, you know, helping these teams win Super Bowl. So it's something that I would give some consideration to if I'm Freddie Kitchens. If I feel confident in Todd Monk and being able to take over and call the offense uh, the way I would see it.
0: Yeah. And Andy Reid, by the way, is there anybody more notorious for clock mismanagement than Andy Reid? Like maybe, maybe stop calling the plays. He he actually gave Matt Nagy the opportunity to call him recently. Um, well, would you think right, Eric is
2: kind of ready for that, too? I mean, just saying. yeah,
0: maybe so. Uh Very quickly. One word answer: Who needs a who at one and two needs to win more? The Titans or the Falcons?
2: Ooh, Titans or uh, Falcons?
1: Falcons. I, I think. I think it's the Titans. I think the Falcons are going to be okay. Their defense is an issue, but the Titans are going the wrong direction.
0: I Falcons are in trouble. Bad division. I would take. Uh, I would take the Titans. You, as Sean pointed out in a recent podcast, the whole. Rabel cutting things off thing. You don't you don't need to be one of three. That's a bad situation. Uh, that's it for the pick Six Podcast. We'll be back uh, with another Brady Quinn football show next week. We'll, of course, be back tomorrow with uh, Heath and uh, Brian McFadden to break down some fantasy stuff. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And it's been a while since we did a Super Friends mailbag, but we're bringing one back. Here's what you do. Hop on Apple Podcast, write a five-star review and include a question for us. It can be NFL-related or not so much, and we will answer it on a bonus episode. Thanks, fellas. Have a great
2: afternoon.